This is session 25 of A Better Brand of Happiness, and welcome to it. This morning we move on to Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. But it's been a few weeks since we've uh, looked at um, the, especially the goals for this session. We've kind of been enmeshed in the first 14 verses of Philippians chapter 3 for quite a while, and so I want to step back a little bit and kind of reframe um, the goals for this course. Um, I really have kind of two goals that I'm pursuing simultaneously. One is to teach the content of the book of Philippians, but the other is also to teach some Bible study skills along the way. And so early on in these sessions, and at several points during, I have reminded you of the steps in the Bible study process that I follow, and those steps are, there are eight of them. The first is to read the passage in several translations. Um, Of course, I also use original language tools because I studied them in seminary, but um, anyone can really benefit a lot in their Bible study from just looking at different types of translations, and so I encourage everyone to do that, and I do that as well. Uh, Second one is to establish the paragraph. That is, um, I believe every passage of Scripture should be a unit that covers one basic idea, and so there should be some ways, some common ways in which we can find the one unit of Scripture that covers one basic idea. And so I um, look for that. Then the next one is to state that big idea, that one, that one idea that one unit of Scripture teaches. And then to the next number four is to break it down and label the parts. So um, especially in a, a passage like this, a book like this, um, one of Paul's letters, um, Each of the paragraphs is made up, of course, of phrases and clauses and sentences which um, fill in and expand on the meaning of the big idea of that passage, and so it's helpful to um, pull those apart and see how they relate to one another. Next, uh, as I'm doing this, I keep a list of questions, and these questions are things I don't understand readily from the passage or I think I might not understand from the passage. And so I write those down on a list, and then number six, I get answers to my questions, typically by looking at commentaries and other Bible study tools, which are designed to uh, provide clarity on those um, questions. Then I revisit and rewrite my big idea. So after I've studied the passage, I look at the original big idea I stated, and I try to refine it even further based on what I've learned about the passage along the way. And then finally, number eight, apply the text to your life. So this morning we've come to Philippians 3, verses 15 through 21, and I'm not going to read it in three translations, but I will read it in one translation, and so please follow along as I read Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, where the scripture says, All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have told you before, and now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. And so this is the next section in the book of Philippians. It's the next paragraph. And uh, I've just read it. Of course, if I were studying this passage, I would read it in a number of translations. In terms of establishing the paragraph, um, this one is tricky because it clearly is tied to what goes before. And so some might want to see the entire chapter of Philippians chapter 3 of Philippians, as one giant paragraph. Um, But I think that uh, there are good reasons to think that um, this is a new paragraph, definitely related to the one before, but now turning in a different direction. And so one of the reasons why I would, um, or, or some of the reasons why I would separate this as a paragraph are as follows. First of all, in verse 15, it begins by saying, all of us Then And the word then in the original language is the usual word for therefore. And when you see a word like therefore, um, it looks like the author is, usually the author is moving from the content of what he said to some sort of application of it. And so uh, that is sort of a turn in the thought. And so that's one reason why I would um, separate this as a paragraph. Another is that Paul says all who are mature should take such a view of things. The idea of maturity is um, again, a new concept. It's definitely related to the previous one, but it's, uh, it's sort of turning the audience to think about um, the truths in a different way. At the end of the passage, in verse 21, Paul says that, um, that the Lord will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. And so this looks like a new idea itself. And so this is why I've established the paragraph as going from verses 15 through 21, uh, mainly because it looks like a different idea related to the previous one is being introduced. And then in chapter 4, it looks like a new idea is being introduced altogether. All right, next, after establishing the paragraph, I choose to, or I try to state the big idea. And the big idea that I see in this paragraph, um, as you know, I have a formula for um, determining the big idea. And that is by asking two questions. The first question is, what is the implied question in this passage? Almost every statement of fact or every statement of paragraph um, could be thought of as the answer to some sort of implied question. And so when I am digging for the big idea, I try to ask myself, what exactly is the kind of question that the author is answering in this paragraph? What question is sort of implied by the things that are taught here? And as I thought about this paragraph of Scripture in in terms of that question, the answer I came to is that the implied paragraph or the implied question in this passage is how should believers think about Paul's goal and struggle to know Christ? Remember the preceding section, verses 1 through 14. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he talks about attaining to the resurrection of the dead and so on. And so, but he says, I've not attained it yet. So he's saying, my goal is to know Christ, but it's also my struggle to know Christ. Now, by using the word therefore, or then in verse 15, Paul seems to be turning from his struggle and his goal to knowing Christ to saying this is something that all Christians should want to do. All right, and so that's why I think the implied question is how should believers think about goals or Paul's goal and struggle to know Christ? In other words, Paul's saying this isn't just for me. He's not saying this, this is my goal, but, but you choose your own goal. No, now Paul is saying everyone should have this goal. And so the implied question is 
given Paul's statement of what he's been through uh, in, ter- in terms of renouncing his, his, uh, his Jewish religious advantages and all of his desire and struggle to know Christ, what does that mean for us as believers? I think that's what Paul is answering in this section. And so that's the implied question. Now, what's the answer to that implied question? I put it this way. We as believers should think about Paul's goal by adopting his goal for ourselves and following his example in our own Christian lives. Verses uh, 15 and 16, Paul urges us to take on the same goal that he has. And we'll get into the details of that in a minute. And then verses 17 and following, he says, and you can do this by following my example. And so I put those two ideas together. We should adopt his goal, that's our thinking, and we should follow his example. Now, formulating these two answers to my two questions into one statement then, my big idea statement for this passage is, like Paul, every Christian, every Christian's goal should be to know Christ, and we should live for that goal by following his, that's Paul's, example. Like Paul, every Christian's goal should be to know Christ. And we should live for that goal by following Paul's example. Right? So that's the big idea that I would uh, put for this passage. Now I'm going to uh, teach through these, some of these verses. I'm going to start teaching through this paragraph of Scripture, so I won't be going back to the list of uh, Bible study um, steps at this point. I'll be walking you through uh, the, the product of my own study in this passage. But all under this heading, Philippians 3, 15 through 24 is about this. It's about the idea that, like Paul, every Christian's goal should be to know Christ, and we should live for that goal by following his example. This paragraph, Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 24, is an application of what Paul taught us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. In Philippians 3, 1 through 14, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord, and he described what that meant in terms of his own experience. Now he turns and applies that to the rest of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so I need to remind you because verses 15 through 21 are um, based on, or 24 that is, are based on, um, no, 21, sorry, I don't know where 24 came from, but 21. Um, 15 through, Philippians 3, 15 through 21 um, are based on Philippians 3, 1 through 14. And so I need to remind you a little bit about what Philippians 3, 1 through 14 said. And in that section, Uh, Paul was describing his desire to know Christ. In verse 8, Paul wrote, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And later on in verse 10, he wrote, I want to know Christ. So verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. In verse 12, he 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 wrote, I press on to take hold of that that for which Christ took hold of me. All right, speaking of the relationship that uh, Christ gives us. And so verses three, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, is about the goal of knowing Christ. And all of this came as a result of Paul's statement in Philippians 3.1, which says, rejoice in the Lord. Remember, rejoicing in the Lord means finding your joy, your satisfaction, your ambition in life in Jesus Christ. And Paul described giving up everything in his own life in order to pursue that goal, in order to find out what it really means to rejoice in Jesus Christ. He had to renounce everything that used to be important to him as a Jewish religious man. Now in our paragraph for today, Paul wrote that all Christians should have the same desire to know Christ. 
And in verses 15 through 16, Paul applied his struggle to know Christ and his goal to know Christ to all believers. Verse 15 says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. That phrase, such a view of things, goes back to Paul's goal. I want to know Christ. And so you might even say, if you wanted to paraphrase the point of verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take on our goal to know Christ, just like Paul's goal was. And so here in this section, Paul applies his goal and his struggle to all Christians. I already mentioned that in verse 15, the word then, where it says all of us then, is the usual word for therefore. And it shows that this paragraph, verses 15 through 24, flow out of what Paul taught in verses 1 through 14. And what he's saying is that the goal of knowing Christ is not just for Paul, but rather Paul is an example of what all Christians should be seeking and doing. The NIV's wording here in verse 15, all of us then who are mature, isn't intended to restrict the goal of knowing Christ to some super class of Christians. Paul isn't saying, just for those of us who are mature, we should follow this goal. And here's why I say that. The phrase, all of us, then, who are, could be interpreted as restricting this paragraph to some people and excluding others. For instance, if I say this, all of us who went to the father-son retreat last weekend, that's a restrictive idea, okay? If you didn't go to the father-son retreat, then you're, by definition, not in that group, Okay, and so you could read this that way. You could say all of us who are mature to say Paul is trying to restrict what he's saying to a certain group of people. The language does lend itself to that interpretation. However, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not restricting his instruction in this paragraph to only really great Christians or super Christians or really advanced followers of Christ. Rather, he's describing for us what should be the goal of all Christians once we reach a level of maturity in Christ. And that's because God calls every Christian to be a mature Christian. That's how everyone's included here. Notice again verse 16. All of us then who are mature. Well, who does God want to be mature as Christians? Just a super class of people? No. God wants every Christian to be mature. Every, think about it this way. Here's an illustration. Every human being, every boy, every girl is destined and designed and expected to become a mature human being, a man or a woman. Boys become men, girls become women. That's how God designed us. The process of growth inevitably leads us there. And so the same is here um, when it comes to the Christian life. The Christian life is a life. It is a new birth. And like a human birth, it has a maturation process, but the goal is to reach maturity. We would think it's very strange if somebody was 30 years old and still had the body, the size of a baby, and all of the characteristics of a baby. We would say something went terribly wrong. And so it is in the Christian life. As Christians, God designed us. God calls us to become mature, not to, relate, not to stay in a state of Christian infancy. And so following Christ and seeking to know him is not an optional exercise for Christians. Instead, or I should say, it isn't one of several options that could happen to a Christian. It's something that God wants for all Christians. 
And so Paul is saying all of us who are mature should have this goal. People who aren't mature yet, maybe they don't see that goal yet, but at some point they're going to grow up to a point where they have reached a level of maturity in Christ, and then they should see that clearly that this is the goal that God wants. Now, I, I'm, gonna, I'm belaboring this point a bit because I think there are people in our world, in our evangelical American subculture, who think it's okay to stay in a permanent state of immaturity. They think there are you know, people like me who are in vocational Christian ministry. Of course, we're supposed to be mature Christians, but there should be people in the church too who just, you know, they come and they identify with Christ, they call themselves Christians, but they're not really growing in their faith and that's okay. There's some people who think that's true. For them, they might say, okay, well, this is a good goal for mature people, but it's not for me. I have a different goal in mind. Now, um, again, let me give you kind of a secular example here. I could make it my goal in life to know everything there is to know about American football. And if that were my obsession, I would watch football, I would read about football, I would think about football as much as possible. But you might say, well, that's fine for you, but I have a different goal in my life. I'm interested in fashion, or I don't know what. But, you know, in other words, we think it's okay for people in our culture to have different interests, okay? We don't say, I'm interested in football, so everyone must be interested in football, or This person might say, I'm interested in hunting, so everyone must be interested in hunting. We don't think that. We think it's okay for people to have different interests. And it is okay for people to have different interests. But that's not true in the Christian life. The Christian life is not one where every Christian gets to choose whether or not he or she is following Christ and has a goal of knowing Christ. Instead, Paul is telling us here, this is the ultimate goal for every Christian. We all ought to be, you know, in a sense, obsessed with the idea of knowing Christ. And we ought to be making choices in our lives that reflect an obsession, a desire, a goal of knowing Christ. And so Paul's goal here wasn't to know Christ just for him as a super apostle. It wasn't his goal just because he was a super Christian. He was concerned about complacent Christians. That's what all of this is designed to get at. There are some Christians who are not, to go back to chapter 3, verse 1, rejoicing in the Lord. They were rejoicing in other things. They were rejoicing in their own wealth, their own status, their own um, religious good works, because Paul talks about that in the opening verses of chapter 3, verse 1. Just as we have today, Paul knew that there were some people who called themselves Christians, and yet they were complacent about their spiritual growth. They were in a state of spiritual infancy. A complacent Christian is someone who thinks, I'm saved, so I'm all good. I've got what I need. Heaven is secure for me. When I die, I know what's going to happen. And God didn't save me based on my good works, and so I don't have to do good works as a Christian either. There are some people who think like this. Let me tell you, it's extremely hard to shake people who think this way, out of their complacency. And it is true that in Christ, you have been granted all the righteousness you'll ever need before God. I'll talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes. But that is true. A person who says, I'm in Christ, and so God views me as perfectly righteous through the righteousness of Christ, and my eternity is secure, that's an orthodox statement. That's what the Bible teaches. 
But the Bible also teaches that the Christian life is not just something that's declared to be true about you. It's a new life that's implanted in you, and that new life wants to grow. Just like every human baby pushes toward growing to maturity and eventually gets there, so someone who is born of God also desires and moves toward Christian maturity. And so that's what Paul's addressing here. Now, the word mature in verse 15 is a word that means complete or finished or having achieved a goal. Other translations, older translations, translate this word perfect. And this has created another level of false doctrine in the church. It's not around much anymore, but there used to be an idea of religious perfection, that you could grow to the point where you stop sinning. That's not what Paul's saying here at all. Paul is using the form of the same word in verse 12, where he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. The word arrived is the same, it's from the same root word as the word mature here in verse 15. All right, and so Paul is talking about a goal that's been achieved. In verse 15, he says, all of us who are mature, all of us who have reached this goal should take this view of things. But back in uh, this preceding verse, Uh, verse 12, Paul said, I haven't obtained it yet. I haven't reached the goal yet. And so what's going on in this passage? What's going on here is Paul is saying that um, our goal as Christians, our striving as Christians is to become mature, is to, to reach the goal of perfection, but we never actually attained it in this life. It's something we keep striving for but we never actually achieve until we are with Christ and therefore perfected. And so this is why modern translations have translated the word in verse 15, mature, rather than perfect. It's pulling out, Paul's using this word in a different sense here, a sense of someone who has reached the goal of maturity, not perfection. And and again, let's go back to our secular example of, of a human person. A grown man is done, right? He's, he's, he's an adult. He's matured physically. But that doesn't mean he's perfect in the sense of being flawless. All right, a 25-year-old man has probably grown as, high, as tall as he's going to grow, and he's got everything else that would accompany being a mature adult. But he probably has a number of immature things about him that still need to be addressed, In fact, sometimes we say that a grown man needs to grow up, right? Picture a 29-year-old man living in his parents' basement. This used to be funny, but it's become so common in our culture that now it's just sad, right? He's a 29-year-old man. He lives in his parents' basement. He's got no job, and he's not looking for one. He's got no friends, no girlfriend, no ambition, no nothing. He He lives in a perpetual state of teenagerliness, even though he's long past grown out of being a teenager. He's a grown man physically. He's physically mature, but he's far from mature or complete or done as a human being. He needs to grow up into maturity in his thinking and habits so that who he is as a person meets who he is physically speaking. I think this is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, yes, we've all reached a certain amount of adulthood in our Christian life, We all have a ways to go as well before we're actually perfect. You can be a Christian for a long time, and you may have come a long way in your understanding of God and Scripture and even in your spiritual growth. 
But none of us is completely mature yet. And we won't be until this life is over. And so we need to be reminded, again, that our, what the goal of our faith in Christ is. It's easy for us to lose focus and get focused on other goals. We need to be reminded that the goal of our faith in Christ is to know Christ and to become like Him. A mature Christian wants to know Christ, seeks to know Christ, desires to know Christ, and works toward knowing Christ. That's what this entire section is about. Now in verse 15, when Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. The phrase should take is not a command like you must. But that doesn't mean it's an option. Paul is trying to encourage us here. He knows how hard it is to grow into maturity and how easy it is to get discouraged by our own sinfulness. And so he's not saying, you must grow in your faith. But he is kind of saying it in a more encouraging way. He's saying, let us all who desire to know Christ and who have reached a level of maturity, let's make sure this is our focus. Let's make this the goal of our lives. And so the idea is expressed here through the phrase, sort of, let us do this rather than you must do this. And so that's the first part of verse 15. And in this section, Paul takes uh, his description of his goal in life from verses 1 through verse 14. And now he applies it to all believers. Starting at verse 15 then, Paul says that God is, is doing this too. Not only does he urge us who are mature in our faith to take this goal, but he's saying God is working on that too. Look again at verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. We should all want to know Christ as our goal. And then he says this, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. This part expresses Paul's confidence that somehow or other everyone will come around to his viewpoint on this by the working of God. Although all mature, all mature believers should have as their goal to know Christ, Paul understands that not every one of us is there yet, even people who have achieved a level of maturity. Someone may have been a Christian for a long time, and they may have a goal of not knowing Christ, but instead impressing others with their own spirituality. Or they may have a goal of materialism, which is something that all of us or most Christians, many Christians struggle with at some point in our lives. Or they may have some other lesser goal besides knowing Christ. But the phrase in verse 15b that says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, that expresses Paul's confidence that God's leading in the lives of the believers would bring them to the goal of desiring to know Christ, the same goal that Paul had. The phrase uh, translated make clear in verse 16 is the word that's usually translated to reveal. It's the word apocalypsis from where we get the word apocalypse, all right? And apocalypse doesn't mean bad things are coming. It means revealing, okay? That's what revelation, that's where we get that word from. This is the same word that Paul uses here. It's usually translated reveal. But this isn't divine revelation in the same sense of God speaking to the prophets or to the writers of Scripture who recorded Scripture. Instead, Paul is saying, this is an insight that all Christians need to come to, and God will get you there. If you keep following Christ, at some point, God will work in your life to the point where you have this level of spiritual clarity, where you see that this is really what life should be about. 
that all these other goals about impressing other people and getting material things and whatever it is that we get focused on, those don't matter. What really matters is knowing Christ. Paul says God is working on us for this. Now, here in this section, we have kind of um, an important tension that, that we need to retain and, and think about as Christians. On one side of the coin, we need to put work and effort into our Christian life. We don't get saved by human effort. But we do grow in our faith, not so much by human effort, but rather by the working of Christ in us. And so um, part of spiritual growth requires work and effort in our spiritual life. But at the same time, the Bible says God is also working in us. God is using other Christians. He's using the church. He's using the trials we face in life to also strip away the sins and temptations that beset us and to give us greater clarity the Holy Spirit is at work in us, convicting, of us, convicting us of sin and thus purifying us. God's Word is informing us of truth and chipping away at our sinful desires and sinful patterns of thinking. And so what Paul's saying here at the end of verse 16 is, or verse 15 is, that if you keep growing in your faith, God will lead you to the same conclusion Paul came to, which is that knowing Christ is the goal that all Christians should be living for. And it's the only worthwhile goal there really is. Now in verse 16, Paul says that that goal of knowing Christ is consistent with all that God has given to us in, verse, in, in Christ. Look at verse 16 again. Paul says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. All right, on one hand, he says in verse 15, all of us who are mature should have knowing Christ as our goal in life. And in verse 16, he says, and this is consistent with everything we have in Christ. Let me break this verse down for you. In verse 16, the phrase, let us live up, means to keep in line with. If you were to translate it literally and look at it in some other contexts, you would see that's what the word means. Let us live up to something means get in line with something. It has an idea of conforming yourself to an, ex an expectation, a standard. And so if we put that together with the preceding phrase um, in verse 16, which means to walk, so look at verse 16 again. He says, only let us live up um, to what we have already attained. He's, he's sort of expressing here the idea of um, let us walk according to this standard. In other words, let this rule sort of be the guide for your life. And what is it that we're supposed to line up with? Verse 16 says, let us line up with, let us live in accordance with, let us walk according to what we have already attained. What does this mean? Well, this is describing, again, the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us by the grace of God through faith. It's a reference to verse 9 where Paul says, and my goal is to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul is referring to in verse 16 when he says what we've already attained. When, when Paul was saved and when you were saved and when anyone is saved, God declares that saved person to be righteous, perfectly righteous. It's something God declares about us, not something that's actually true. 
No one is declared righteous based on his or her own efforts or good works or actual real righteousness. Instead, our faith says, Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life and God credits the sinner with that righteous life when we believe in Christ so that God has credited us with the righteousness of Christ when we got saved. This is the Christian doctrine known as justification by faith. Justification by faith says, I am not righteous in God's sight, but when I believe in Jesus, God treats me as if I'm righteous because the righteousness of Christ is credited to my account. And so that means no matter how sinful you were or are, if you're in Christ, if you've been justified, God treats you as if you are perfectly righteous, just as Jesus Christ is. This is what we've already attained. Not that we've earned it, but that Christ gave it to us by grace. That's what Paul means in verse 16 when he says, living up to what we've already attained. Once we become Christians, however, we desire to become truly righteous, not just declared righteous. Let me maybe create another example for you. Imagine like um, in the Olympics, okay, the winter games or summer games, it doesn't matter. Let's say that the Olympic Committee decided who was going to get the gold medal before any of the games were played. And they conferred upon that person the gold medal. Like they had the whole, you know, stand, you stand on the tallest one in the middle, and someone puts a gold medal around your neck. And let's say that the person that they declared to be the gold medal winner was, you know, a man who's in terrible shape, you know, he's got a large gut, and just, he could never, he would never, ever be able to actually win that award on his own. All right, but by grace, he has conferred the gold medal. Now, let's say that person says, you know what, though? I really want to earn this gold medal. I want to win the gold medal. I want to become the kind of person who should be getting the gold medal. All right, that's a rough metaphor, but that's sort of what's going on here. God doesn't say, work hard, and if you work hard enough, then I'll confer upon you the righteousness of Christ. I'll call you righteous. No, God gives us righteousness. He confers upon us righteousness. He declares us to be righteous first in Christ. But once that happens, we have new life within that says, I want to actually be righteous like Jesus is. I want to live a righteous life like Christ does. In other words, we want to live as Christ lived. A Christian desires to become what God has already declared us to be in Christ. And this is the Christian doctrine of sanctification. Justification means God credits us with the righteousness of Christ. Sanctification says we try to grow in Christ till we live up to that standard, till we actually are righteous in our character and in our uh, works and, and who we are. Justification, we're declared righteous by God because of the active and passive righteousness of Christ. His active righteousness is his obedience to the law, his Passive righteousness is his death on the cross. Those are credited to us. That's justification. Sanctification means by the grace and working of God in our lives, we become righteous in our real lives. We grow more righteously over time. Justification is immediate. It's instantaneous. You are justified, as justified as you'll ever be the moment you put faith in Jesus Christ. Sanctification is progressive. It happens over time. You start where you are, and you grow to where you become a righteous man or a righteous woman like Jesus Christ. This growth in sanctification comes from
from a goal, which is to know Christ. And what Paul is teaching us in this section is, just as he was willing to renounce everything that was important to him because he wanted to know Christ, now he's saying every Christian should have this goal. This is what Christian maturity is about. As we grow in our faith, it should become clearer and clearer that the only thing that really matters and the only thing that should be important to us is to become like Christ in our actual character. To know Christ in an experiential level to where we are living out his life as he would live it on this earth if he were us. And so this is what Paul is teaching in this section. He's teaching us that every Christian's goal should be to know Christ and we should live for that goal by following Paul's example. In the next section, we'll come to that second part, following Christ by following Paul, or becoming like Christ by following Paul's example. But that's in the next section, and so we'll come back to that next time.